right, we're live. Darius, good morning. We are live, we're recording. Good morning, good morning. Uh, for this episode of the podcast, uh, we have some pretty, you know, interesting topics I'd, I'd like to think. Uh, we're going to cover basically uh, a comment that was on the Timex contest. And uh, before I get into that, congratulations to Julian. He is the winner of the Timex uh, Milano XL. I actually met up with him last week in person, had some great conversations with him. So please wear that uh, watch in good health, Julian. So uh, on the same topic as that, uh, that Timex post, there, there was a comment by someone that wanted to hear about our watch stories. So we're going to get into that a little later. But first, Darius, what were you wearing on the wrist this week? This week? Um, I, like how you, I like how you said that not today, because obviously today I'm wearing skin <laughs> for now. But this week I was wearing my Rolex Submariner No Date 114060. You know what I have to say about that? Um, when I went to the Rolex AD and we were just talking, um, I had uh, you know I had a really pretty good conversation. And one of the things is they brought up, well, at least my rep brought up that if someone was to get a Submariner, in her eyes, in her opinion, it should be a no date. And I totally agree with that. Do you agree with that, or do you sometimes you know long for a date with the Submariner as well? I long for a date because I long for a Kermit. Ah. Really? But I don't long for a date because I long to have a date just because. Okay. That's interesting. Nice. Because technically, I mean, if we're being really, really pedantic about it. Yeah. Rolex, when these, when you have a Submariner and you see like the, um, the, the warranty card and the literature about it, they don't call it a no date. They just call it a Submariner. Correct. Right? Right. So the Submariner date is the one that's not the original one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that that's also one thing too. Uh, I know I, I catch myself doing that before getting really invested. I would always differentiate it as a Submariner no date and a date, and then she of course corrected me, which is great. It's all about education when it comes to this uh, this hobby. Yeah, and it's like you know what? Another point on that when people go like get really really be really big sticklers about it and like oh it's just a Submariner, it's not a no date. It's like relax. As long as someone gets what you're saying, you're good. <laughs> I agree. I mean, it's it's the same thing with some uh, explorer lovers, where they're just like, it's not called an explorer one. It's just called an explorer. It's like, well, you know what? It's the first one, so it's one. <laughs> <laughs> but that that's a gorgeous watch. What year is it again? I think you mentioned it before. I think it's twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. Beautiful. 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 Twenty eighteen. Yeah. And yourself, what's on the wrist for the week or today? Yeah, or, or today for the week, um, I basically dug out an old watch of mine, um, and it is the, it's called a Seiko 7A38. It is a quartz chronograph, um, and I picked this up just on eBay during the really early years of getting into the hobby. I was doing a lot of eBaying, and I just found this for, for a good deal, and then I snagged it up. It's good. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. He was showing me, he was showing me on the webcam, and it's like gold-plated. I love I love that look. Old vibe. <laughs> Old vibes, retro vibes. Uh, hey, this is one thing too. I I do I would I do want to touch on this. Um, gold plated, and then actual gold. There's a big difference uh, for the listeners up there, um, especially uh, uh, we're going to go off on a tangent now, especially on some of the um, newer watches in a very affordable price range. When you see them say something like a rose gold or like a gold, do not expect it to be 100%. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely gold plated. Yeah. And isn't there a difference? There's like gold plated. And then I know there's a there's another gold filled. Gold filled. 
Yeah. Do you yeah. know the difference between yeah. the two? Because I, I don't. So the difference is essentially, from my understanding, the difference in how thick the plating is. So gold plated is something like one micron or like two microns, which is nothing. It rubs, it can rub off. Yeah. But gold filled, I believe, is like four to eight microns. I'm probably wrong here. Someone in, who's listening, Fact feel check. free to correct me. But um, that's what it is. And I think the gold filled maintains its color and luster a lot longer, if not indefinitely. Hmm. Has has there ever been any of the luxury brands doing more gold filled? I, I don't like. I don't expect them to do gold plated. But do you know if any actually? Of- yeah. Um. Older Rolex. Oh really? Like the Orsica quartz, yeah. or even like before that? Yeah. Just, just before then. Wow. Hmm. Even like oyster dates and prince dates, I believe, some are gold filled. Nice. Hmm. Uh, hey, for for me, when I wear this, uh, it's not about showing off the gold. If anything, for me, it's it's the fun element, and I guess that's a good exactly, se- exactly. It's a good segue into it. It's like, how did I even come up with with getting this watch? Uh, but first, but I don't I don't want to talk about mine first. I'm more interested about your Submariner. So for the listeners out there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have Darius talk about his origin story, getting the Submariner, how he felt when he first got it, and how he feels now when he puts it on. So take it away. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So when I bought the Submariner, um, Rolex was hot. Um, steel sports models were hot, but they were nowhere near what they are today. So you were saying before that going in today to ask for a Submariner, mm-mm, not happening. No, not no, at no, all. No, 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 no. But when I got it, you could still get one. You know, you could go in, you would get on quote unquote the list, mm-hmm. debatable whether the list actually exists, but you could get on like the mind of the associate and then they could potentially get you something in a somewhat reasonable amount of time. Okay. Uh, somewhat reasonable being, you know, maybe a month, maybe six months, not like five years. Yeah. Is that the average time nowadays? Is that five to six years? The average time is whenever you feel like spending more money than just a Submariner. That's the average so, time, you know. Bundling in, right? Is that a thing in the watch industry nowadays? Is you got to bundle in your purchase? I'm pretty sure one? it is. It's like um, it's like an untold truth of buying stuff. You know, when you want when stuff is higher demand than supply, it's like an untold truth in every industry where big whale clients will get everything before your walk-ins. Wow. Which as like a company, right? That's what you would want to do if you owned a company. Um, of course, you want to spread the brand. But if you have a client that's spending, say, 400K a year with you. And someone who's spending maybe not 400K, then you would just get the 400K happier. While mm-hmm. that's not exactly the best thing for you know, client satisfaction on a grand scale on like a mass market scale it's a lot better for targeted clients which is what luxury watch industry is yeah and and so basically you were able to to grab such a such a coveted item um as we know today without going through that process oh yeah i I didn't i didn't have to go buy like three date just to get it (laughs) it was actually so that submarine was actually my first purchase at that ad which was really fortunate and really, I'll tell you the story of how I got it and the, the buying process of this Submariner. Um, so when I was thinking of buying the Submariner, I was pretty young and honestly, I just wanted the Rolex to say I had a Rolex. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that's just how it is. Um, yeah. 
why wouldn't Sometimes, you? I mean, when, why wouldn't if, you? If you have that brand on your wrist, that is something that's that's very appealing. Yeah, at so, any age, I think. At any age, and sort of like the ultimate um, brand cachet, brand awareness thing. And I started looking into, you know, I wanted to know, like we discussed before, that if I needed to liquidate it, I could liquidate it at any time for a reasonable amount of, amount of money, which is why I went Rolex. And yeah. that's why I went Submariner, smart. or that's why I targeted Submariner. Very smart. So when I got it, um, before I went in, I went in and said, I started talking to the AD, the sales associate, who he no longer works for them. And I was like, hey, start chatting a little bit. And we were about the same age. And I was like, hey, you know, I want to get um, a sports model. I really want to target the sub, but I'd be okay with like Explorer 2, Explorer. And mm. they actually had Explorer in the case. And I trying it, I was like, you know, it doesn't connect with me. You know, maybe yeah. it's because it doesn't have the ceramic and maybe because it's not as flashy or in my eyes notable. at the time. As yeah. notable and iconic. Um, yeah. Arguably, Submariner is flagship. <laughs> I do believe that. Arguably. Yeah. Um, maybe Daytona is flagship. But <laughs> arguably, like, Submariner is, you know, the most well-known watch in the world. So he's like, of course. He's like, yeah, of course, I'll take your information. I took down my uh, contact and that was that you know i just walked out i don't expect i didn't expect anything i expect maybe like a couple months and then i'll get a call if a call yeah little did i know two days later he calls me it's like hey we got one in and i was 30 kilometers away at the 30 time. kilometers wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, which is which is really a... which is really unfortunate because i used to work across the street I just wasn't working Probably. that day. Oh, man. Right? That would have been perfect. Terrible. I would have just walked across the street and, I know. and came, gone back. But yeah. he texted me. He's like, hey, we have it right now. I'm like, oh, dude, I have to I have to make the trip. You know, I have to go, get on the subway and, like, all the way get down there. He's like, okay, we can't do holds. Just, you know, get down here and as go soon ASAP. As possible? ASAP. Wow. I'm on the subway, like, nervous. Like, uh... One yeah, like, nerv- what if you go down there and then it's, it's like, gone? Exactly. Point. One nervous that's not going to be there. Two nervous that I'm buying, you know, a Submariner and it was an astronomical amount of money. And so I get down there. He's like, oh, my God, it's still here. I'm like, great, it's still here. Put in my... Don't even try it on. I didn't even try it on. You know? <laughs> we can do it later. We'll do that later. I didn't even care. I was like, I was just so excited. Transaction first. Take my money. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Just take my money. Didn't even negotiate to get, like, extra cleaning kits or anything. Nothing. Just give me the watch. Stick my credit card into the terminal. (laughs) You know, forget the pin. Oh, no. True story. (laughs) Forgot the pin. Um, Tried again. Like, forgot the pin. Like, wrong pin. And the person at the at the register goes, you know, we have a security policy where if you you can only attempt payment for three times in a 24-hour period. So if you don't get it, that's it. Like, that's game over. Oh, that'd be a terrible feeling. Yeah. Now, at the time when I was there, someone was also waiting. They're like, you know, if he doesn't get the sub, it's yours. So the guy on the couch is like, yeah, I hope you don't get, I hope you don't pay because that's going to be mine. No. No, wow. no, 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 no. <laughs> I was like, you know what, hold on. What I'm going to do, I'm going to transfer funds from one card to another that I actually remember the pin because the card I was using was a new one that I didn't know. 
So I, I'm like, hold on. How long do I have? They're like, we'll give you half an hour. Okay. So I left. I went to the bank. <laughs> and I told the lady. And she's like, oh, why do you need to like do this, do this motion of funds? And she's like, oh, I'm buying wash. And she's like, oh, where? Fossil? I'm like, no, but you know, I don't care. And then she goes like, oh, are they having, is, like, is Rolex having a sale? I'm like, no, but you know. But you know, I got it, it. It's like, I got to do this. It just has to happen. And she's like. I have half an hour. I have 25 minutes left. I know. Po- pointing at my skin because I don't have a whole lot. <laughs> but um, she's like, she looks at me and it's very questionably. And it's like, okay, fine. And then I go back and I'm like, okay, this is the last chance. Stick the card in. Goes through. Um before it goes through actually actually call the number on the back of my card because you know when you have like a high purchase and they block it because of safety i actually had the person the the fraud agent on the phone okay like on speaker i was like okay we're doing this i click it in i'm like do you see this transaction or this pending um amount and she's like yes i'm like okay approve it authorized and she's like okay fine and then they authorize it and then there we go done paid for then I got it sized, took off the stickers, um, and I wore it out. So, so let, let's walk through that. Number one, um, before even doing the purchase, did you do research? Did you dive into the sub? Did you like go through the whole romanticization of like the James Bond and all the marketing before purchase? Walking. Um, I did a little bit of research. The I had two watches on my mind at the time. I had Speedmaster and Sub. Which is Ooh. pretty, com- which is a common like I don't know. Those, yeah. a lot of people have these have these two as like their decisions. Yeah, and I looked at it and like you know what they cost us near and about the same. Um, yeah, at that bracelet. time, Speedmasters were maybe in like forty five hundred. Forty five hundred, but if you wanted something nicer or like, well, okay, you know what? I shouldn't say they cost the same. But they do not cost the same. They cost one cost double. But I think but, the, the the note a bit like the fact that Omega uh, Omega is so tied with the Speedmaster and the story of the moon, and yeah. then when you're diving into it, Rolex is so tied to like all this other story. It makes sense for anyone getting into the hobby to be like, do I get a Speedmaster or do I get a something? Yeah, exactly. And I end up looking at it and it's like, you know what, Speedmaster doesn't have the same brand cachet it doesn't have um it has a lot of great stories to tell and a lot of good history but doesn't have yeah. the same sort of gravitas as rolex i i agree wholeheartedly and, exactly and i was a young impressionable person who wanted to flex on all the men so mm-hmm. rolex was a decision also i found i thought my thought process was that the Submariner was going to be the watch that I could wear all the time and like not care about doing anything to it and breaking it because it's Submariner. And did the, you try on the Speedmaster? Sorry to cut I, you off. Did you try on the Speedmaster before that? I did. I did. And I've been I've tried it on ever since and I haven't connected to it. Like I don't look at it and go like, oh yeah, I need this. So Speedmaster was not the play. Submariner was the play. Um and you know, now I have it, and I've had it for a while, and it was my daily wear for quite a long time. What it represents when I wear it is that, you know what, you can set a goal, and I could have set, I set a goal to get a Submariner. And you can do it, 
and you can look at it and you can see the fruits of your labor, if you will. That's what it is to me. And it's like really, really nice to wear that and be like, yeah, this is, this is nice. This is, this is nice. When I bought it, I was 22 at the time. So really pretty young, bought it myself, got really lucky and still have it. And so the original intent, I mean, I, I know you love the watch. The original intent, though, in the, the, the pattern I see is you wanted to flex. So that was the first part. But as you kind of grew with the watch, did that change? And what did it morph into? Oh, yeah. When even like the first the first um, node of wanting this watch, the root of this was I wanted just to flex. But I started researching, you know, why speed massive versus sub. You start researching the stories. And I was like, you know what, Sub, I connect with more. It's more exploration to me. And it's more like grounded to Earth. Um, <laughs> and it grew into like, you know what, I like the Sub as a watch in and of itself. But I didn't have the same appreciation for it. I only, st after the purchase, I started researching more and more. And like learning about the history of what it is. And what it means to people as like a calling card. So after I grew to enjoy the watch a lot more beyond just having a Rolex, I got to, well, I like to say like it becomes a sort of um, entrance into a secret club, not really secret, but it becomes like a club of uh, people who have a sub or whatever watch it is. And I remember one time I was on the subway and I saw someone wearing a Kermit, like a original, like the 50th anniversary. Not the one that just came out, obviously, but I saw someone <laughs> wearing a Kermit just on Subway. And we started chatting about it and instant connection. There you go. That ended up being to people who were in the know, ended up being a sign of instant trust or instant credibility. Yeah, that's something I, I, could, I could probably say in the watch in, in the watch world is when you spot someone with a notable watch like the sub i mean it's so famous out there that there is an inherent trust that this guy knows what he's doing and it's also like an instant talking point right it's like oh where did you get it how did you get it right and i want to i want to go back to that point is how did you get it so you go into the ad you asked and then when you were hauling ass and you're getting down there your card goes through and then the next step you you put it on Right. So most of the times when you walk into an AD, it's almost like a full service package. It's not like you have to take the watch home and you got to do it yourself. So you basically put it on your wrist and then they, they measured your, um, your wrist and then they resized. So what is that process even like? Cause I can, I, I think a lot of people that listen to this, they might've never been into an AD. So walk them through that experience. Oh yeah. Um, it really depends on the AD at, and like how busy they are. But from my experience at the Rolex was that put it on, um, they see how many links they need to take off, take them off, and then they see if they if it's if not they add or add or subtract link, and then there you go. Then you have the choice. It's like, do you want to wear it out or do you want to keep it in the box and take it out? Obviously, I wanted to wear it out because I was excited. Some people don't. Do you, do you know why? Um, I, I've, to I me, I would never think you would, like, you just got it. You probably want to wear it out. Like, you're so excited. <laughs> For some people, it becomes a, it's just another watch to them. You know, like, long-time collectors who have a lot. Um, 
you know, you just don't want to wear it, which is fine. Like, say, say you go in and you buy something that's like a day dress. You buy, say you buy a day dress, but you're wearing a ceramic Daytona. You're probably not going to want no, to, like, swap no, it out, right? I'd keep the Daytona on. You're right. You know, exactly. So that would be a reason why. Or maybe you actually don't want to take the watch home. You want them to ship it to you because you don't want, you don't feel safe carrying it around. Oh, I never thought about that. Right? Yeah, so when I bought, after the sizing and everything, I wore it out. They gave me, like, the green oh, yeah. shopping bag. Yeah, yeah, I, I know that feeling. Right, yeah. And then they pull out a black shopping bag, like, plastic one. And they put it over and, like, put the green one inside the black one. So it conceals what it is, which is... I didn't think about what it was at the time. And then I walked down, like, no, that's really smart. That's very, very smart. What area um, in Toronto was it? Do you mind me asking? It was in Yorkville. So if you imagine me running up and down the street, going to the bank and back, it's... Okay. I, could, I, I think I know which AD you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So when you put it on, I want to get to the emotion part. I think that's really interesting because um, when I pick up the Explorer, like my hands were shaking. Like, did you have that same feeling when they were resizing your, your, your bracelet? Like, were you shaking? Oh, yeah. Were you like nervous, like full of emotion? Yeah, it's like, oh, wow. And then the guy on the couch was feeling dejected because I just took a watch from him. <laughs> <laughs> was, that, yeah, was, was that gentleman was like, significantly uh, older than you? He was significantly older than me. Okay. Um, a lot more put together than me. We'll put, we'll say it like that. Do you mind me asking and, what you wore um, when you went to uh, purchase that watch? Oh yeah, I was wearing a hoodie and sweatpants. So I wanted to bring this up because I think there is a notion uh, with a lot of people that you need to dress all dapper into an AD. Um, and that's why I wanted to bring up this topic. Because uh, I think being in our generation, it could slightly change. And I think wearing a hoodie and sweatpants going into an AD is perfectly fine especially i think if it's something like a rolex or like a omega boutique maybe something like an ap or rm i'd reconsider but but yeah i I just want to bring that up just in case like someone listening was like oh i want to go to an ad but um do i have to wear like did darius wear like a dress shirt in there did he wear like anything so you wore hoodies and sweatpants yeah i i always wear i always wear that um Going into AP or RM or like tech, it still doesn't matter. Oh. Yeah, it still doesn't matter. The most important thing is just don't mess up their floors. Don't mess up their floors. Hmm, Why do you say that comment? So if it's like salted snow and slush, don't mess up their floors. You know, that that just sucks for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But otherwise, like, no, who cares? Um... We have all these tech billionaires who don't, who have a whole thing about not wearing um, quote unquote office wear to their offices. And they don't look like what you would classically define as a businessman trying to buy a luxury watch when they fully are capable of doing that. Mm. Or even now we have all work from home. So anybody could do anything. You know, there's no point in... uh, and fully fully attempting to you know see if someone's willing to buy just by what they're wearing do you think that's an old school approach and that's just that's an old school approach for sure 
I, I do feel that. Um, if you look at images of like Bill Gates, I see him with like the Casio Edifice like diver's watch that costs maybe like fifty bucks or seventy dollars. Exactly. Uh, Jeff Bezos, I think he sports a Speedmaster, just like yeah. a, you know a general release one. Uh, Steve Jobs was notable to have a Seiko. It was a Seiko quartz black and white kind of kind of watch i that's like one in his collection but i think that's a perfectly good example of the fact that you don't have to walk in with a dress shirt but have you done that with another ad like in the beginning i've never done that ever i'm guilty I, i did that once uh and i felt foolish and then when i went to ad afterwards i literally did what you did i wore a hoodie and i wore i was actually comfortable exactly you're not there to like have an interview with them as much as it feels like it. <laughs> I, I think there is a thing where, um, at least I can say, is when you're getting into the hobby and you walk into an AD, it's almost like you want to impress for some people. And it's like, I want to put my best foot, I want them to take me seriously. And maybe you can agree or disagree, but I think as you get into the indus- or get into this hobby more, you realize that it's not about what you wear, but more more it's just your knowledge. Like when you walk in, do you know what you want? Are you clearly saying, "Hey, I'm interested in the Rolex, you know, Explorer two one four two seven zero, or "Hey, I'm I'm here to see a Explorer two. I think if you take that approach and you do your homework, you're more respected than if you are just walking in with like a a, a dapper suit or something like that. That's just my absolutely, opinion. absolutely. Even if you're wearing coming in wearing like like a whole suit and like a whole to dress to the nines. And you don't know what you're talking about. You don't want serious about what you're saying and what you want. And you're just like, oh, I just want blah, 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 whatever. Without being like somewhat knowledgeable or somewhat um, specific with what you want. That's when you're not really respected because obviously you're trying to put on an act and you're not serious about what you want. And if you were targeting something, then you would know what's the steps to go to take to um, get this watch and you would at least have a cursory knowledge of the thing you want or the process to get what you want. And clearly, if you walk in and say, I want a ceramic Daytona, they're going to laugh at you and say like, no. Um, But if you go in and say like, hey, I want a ceramic Daytona, I'm willing to do this, that, and the other, they might take you more seriously. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you know the you steps. Know, that, you that, know the steps. You know what's going on. You, no one, you're not going to walk into them and be like, hey, I want this as my first and only watch. Yeah, nowadays, you know? they're just going to laugh at you. That's just, you I, I saw a story online okay. about someone who wanted to buy a Tiffany stamped Nautilus from the Tiffany store in New York. And the, it's beautiful. Um, and the person at the... The dealer said, you know what, we have a 20-year waiting list for that. Which is absurd, right? That's absurd. But this guy called the bluff and he's like, okay, I'll wait 20 years. And his wife is like, are you sure you're going to want it in 20 years? And he goes like, yeah, let's do 20 years. Let's do it. You know, I'll wait. I don't care. I'll wait. And the associate, I don't know if this story is true or not. I don't know if it's, you know, just exaggeration, but I believe it because the associate goes you know what, even if you wait 20 years, we wouldn't be able to get you one because we have people spending millions a year trying to get that watch. And they have to wait. It's a club. Wow. 
Is there a so did that gentleman end up getting it or it's just I have no idea. So it's just a testament of of how tough or like how some you know authorized dealers handle the, the purchases. You can't just walk in and expect to get the watch you want. Yeah, well, right. one, it's a testament to how it works, like how difficult some watches are to get, and just like the how frank you have to be about it. And you just can't expect the world just because you're getting one thing. And two, it shows that if you're upfront about what you want and being willing to listen to what they want you to do within reason, they're more willing to just give you direct information than go, oh yeah, you know, blah, 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 and just sort of skirt the problems or skirt the, um, the uncertainties about certain watches or the processes. I, I have two questions for you. Um, and this is for the listeners. Number one is through your process, I can all, I can hear it now. Some people might reach out and ask, did you get a discount? So that's my first question for you. Second question is what advice do you have for people that want to pick up a stainless steel sports Rolex model in 2020 and going into 2021? Okay. Question one, I did not get a discount. Is it, um, is it typical? Do people usually get discounts or you're paying RRP or just get out the door? You're paying RRP. Um, if this goes for essentially every single quote unquote hot watch that you're going to want to get, you're paying RRP and you are going to be paying tax. Don't go in and say, like, hey, can I get tax offered? Can I get blah, blah, blah? They're not going to do anything about tax or price or nothing. There's nothing they can do because they have people willing to pay full price. Why, if you're an AD, why would you do that? Number two, I was. What was the question? I, I uh, no worries. <laughs> the, 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 the second part, because I, I, I know some people, um, they always ask me, hey, did you end up getting a discount? And I can attest to that. You don't get a discount. Um, you know, it's very rare, especially if you're purchasing anything like a Rolex or even, you know, more into the luxury realm that you get any sort of discount. Right. I know sometimes if if you're into Oruses or you're into Hamiltons, certain ADs are willing to work on the pricing. That's just from my experience in the GTA um, that, you know, I was looking and they said, OK, we can work out the pricing. Never went through with the purchase. But those brands, you might be able to get a small discount. So that was the first. Second question is, what's your advice for people that want to purchase a stainless steel sports Rolex model um, for 2020 or even moving into 2021? What is your advice to them? It's going to sound really bad, but my advice is just like be somewhat realistic with what you want. Um, if you're looking in and you want to go buy a Kermit first watch. I won't even you know, get that. I can't even get that. <laughs> right? Like I I watch some like YouTubers online who are dealers. Like they, they come out openly and say, hey, I'm a dealer and I have immense connections to get whatever I want at any time. Even they said, I paid a little over MSRP for my Kermit. You know, these are big time dealers. It's not happening. Now, if you want, if you want to buy, I'm not saying like it's impossible, but if you want to get, say, a sub, Explorer, Explorer 2, something that doesn't have like a huge cachet for um, being impossible to get, you know, then you know go in um and be real realistic with the uh with the person it's like hey um i understand that there is 
potentially a long list. Is it possible to get on a list or get onto um, a certain like calling list or whatever? They might not do it chronologically. They just might like who they like. You know, I got my sub in two days. Yeah. Which Some people amazing. wait months. Even at the time, like in 2018, people were waiting months. I got it in two days. Now, if you're wanting to get that steel, that st- say a sub, just to say a black sub, go in, ask, and be open to other things. You know, they, they know you want a sub, but say they have other brands. Maybe go look into what their other brands are offering or or if they want something else, if you maybe like make the the steel sports into a journey instead of just focusing on the destination. That that's a uh, that's a good way to good way to put it, especially if you're walking into an AD that's carrying other brands as well. Um, I know I've heard some stories too, right? It's if they're carrying the 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 Omegas and all these other brands, is they might purchase some of those first. Right. At least you're building some sort of rapport with that AD and then they know, okay, this this person, you know, even though they might not be buying a lot is, okay, I'm seeing some action. Right. And then you could build your connection from there. I think with ADs, anything, it's it's just about building that connection with them. And once you build it, then you just have a slightly higher chance to get the watch that you, you want. Would you recommend anyone picking up like compromising? Right. So you're you're picking up a date just first. And then getting the Submariner, or would you say you would rather wait and then, you know, throw down on the Submariner? I wouldn't even call it a compromise. If you're getting a Datejust in lieu of a Sub, you're still getting a Datejust. Let me, let me re- rephrase that then. Would you get an OP, uh, Oyster Perpetual, you know, first and then work your way, you know, hopefully to get a Sub? Because Datejusts are pretty nice. <laughs> See, this is where it becomes difficult. You need to think like an AD. You're not buying it just because you want a sub. You're buying it because you want an Oyster Perpetual. And it's still a great watch. Like, it's it still a true. good watch. Yeah, especially you know? the new ones. I've been seeing all those green dials. I was like, oh, wow. Right? It's still a good watch. People, When people think like, oh, yeah, you're getting this in lieu of the sub or in lieu of something else, that's not the way to think about it. You should think about it as like, I'm building, I'm getting this um, because I want an entrance into their brand. You can no longer think of a steel sports as like an entry point. You need to think about it as like to fill out a collection. Now, if you want to think like an AD, which is what we should be doing if we want something like um, like a steel sports, you need to think, why would I want to give Joe from the street the watch? And how can I trust Joe from the street is not going to just turn around in 12 minutes and go down to someone else and be like, hey, I'm gonna overlist it to you and make their like two, three, four grand. Is that a concern for ADs that they're worried about? It's absolutely about? a concern. Okay. Because say say you're an AD and you have um, an invoice from these brands and they see, and they know what cereals they're giving you, obviously. If they see like, one month you sell out and then like two weeks later they just see for sale on auction like blah 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 cereal or they see it in a picture that's not you or that's not it's like a dealer it's like a, a gray dealer who's flipping they're gonna have questions 
Like, are you going direct to the dealer? You know, that's not good because they want these watches on the wrists of consumers. Now, ultimately, say you buy a watch and you have a situation where you need to get rid of the watch because you need to free up some cash for adult decisions, basically. Yes, life, when then, life happens. Then, yes, it's like, it's totally reasonable to do. But if that's your motive, they can't do it. You, you bring a good perspective because I don't even think myself, I've never thought of it that way, too, of like looking at it from an, uh, from a deal, from an authorized dealer perspective. Is like think about why they can't just be selling these things left, right, and center to anyone that walks in. That's why it has to go through a process. I think as a consumer, we, we, we have to, we know what we want, but sometimes we do have to think about the other side. And I think you just exactly. brought up a, a good point for the other people, side. People demonize the AD as like, oh, they're just withholding everything for the sake of withholding everything so that they can make an extra a dollar, an extra dollar. Honestly, what they want is for you not to flip it. And how can he, how can the dealer trust, how can the AD trust that you're not going to flip it? By you actually wearing stuff. And if you have nothing to wear, the best thing you can do is buy something from them. Wear it all the time. I hope someone listening to, to this episode sees that. And you, you don't get too offended if you walk into an AD and you don't end up getting that gmt master two that you that you were looking for and you have to work your way up to it because um i and i brought i brought up the op or even the date just reference because a lot of the times i feel at least and when i'm at the adic that's probably one of the easiest watches to, pu to push when you're not direct about what you want if you don't walk in you say i'm looking for this reference or i'm looking specifically for this model i feel like some ad's that i've been to the first thing is, why don't you take a look at these datejust? Why don't you take a look at these OPs? Because I think you can flip those around quicker, right? And then those are just easier sales, in my opinion, for people that aren't into watches. Because you look at the case of an OP or a datejust, and you'll see like, hey, this looks like a Rolex, right? You look at the cornet at, at the 12 o'clock, it's like, oh, this is what I see in photos. So it's an exactly. easier Exactly, and it's also like a good watch that they have more availability for it's like a vicious cycle where everyone wants one thing so it's unavailable but not they don't want that thing but if they have it why are you not going to want it if you think about it why why do you why was why would someone coming in from the street want your gmt over a day just like genuinely why do they want it because they see the crazy numbers that the gmt brings in and they see they, you see, like, oh, all the hype behind it. Not just because it's a better um, sports watch or because it has, like, a GMT function. They just want it because it's hyped. 90% of the time, that's true. Yeah, I can flip it for a profit. Or I have the potential to flip for a profit. Yes. sorry, yeah. That's a good point. Right. Yeah. That's, uh, that's good. Uh, I think you, you had some really good points in there. I hope someone could take something out of it. Uh, my last thing for you is, I don't know if he fully covered it, but this week when you put it on, do you get that same, same feeling as you did when you first picked it up? Or has Absolutely. it changed? I get, you know I, get? I, I get the feeling of familiarity and comfort from it. Because the other watch I wear all the time, the AP... That's intimidating to wear. <laughs> in terms of you don't want to bang it by accident, you don't want to like scuff it with like a button or, or like a snap. Exactly. Or 
And like, there's a different cachet behind wearing like an AP than a sub, because a sub. I always I always put it like this, um, and it might come off as pretentious, but I think it's true. Rolex, anybody can afford a Rolex. Well, anybody, big air quotes on that. But if you work hard and it's it is possible to save up, say, ten thousand, and instead of buying that new car with a down payment, you buy a Rolex. Like that's possible. But for AP, it gets to a point where, do you spend the like twenty one thousand dollar entrance price to get like um a Royal Oak? Or do you put that towards like something more significant, like investment opportunities? It's like it's much more luxury. It it's a next step forward, and it's like a different cachet and mentality behind it. And it's like I feel like the difference. If I'm gonna draw a parallel here, is if you see someone driving like a BMW Mercedes, like say a C three hundred or something, like an entry class. You're like, oh, that's nice, but you feel like someone you could attain it. Like, if if someone is in a in a position where they could potentially throw down on it, they could throw down on it. Or if they worked a little bit more, like they saved and like cut expenses, they could throw down on it. But if you see someone driving by in like a Ferrari, you know, it's it's somewhat different. You know, you're like, wow, it's more aspirational. And that's why I feel more comfortable wearing the Rolex because, one, it is already banged up and there's a chip in it. Um, but one, that's like it's already worn. Two, I feel like it's more quote unquote every man. I right you I think so. Yes, you see them around. Yeah. I know there are some people that that will disagree, and they're just like, "How could you put a chip in the Submariner?" But it it is it's a watch meant to be beat up. Exactly, and the thing is, like, I'm saying it as though like, oh, I'm being, I'm being humble today, and I'm wearing just the Rolex. I'm not. I still fully appreciate that it's like an aspirational product, and it's like the goal for a lot of people, and it's a fantastic watch, and it's clearly something that a lot of people want. But it is not on the same sort of level of having AP. It's like totally different. It when I put it on, when I put the AP on, it's like okay, I need to be serious about. I need to be like very wary about what I'm doing, where I'm going, where my hand goes. Um, am I open doors with my right hand? You know, when I'm putting on a seatbelt, I'm like super careful. With the Rolex, I'm like I'm more comfortable. Like, I just do stuff. Yeah, and, and I think that that speaks about the. The brand ethos as well of of Rolex, especially back in the days, so these are essentially tools, tool watches, and they're meant to be worn. I think AP has always had that hot horology, you know, status, and and that's why you you do have to tread lightly when you're wearing. Yeah, that and that's how they built their. That's how like literally, they have built the brand from day one. Um, Rolex has been marketed and built to be. A functional watch, you know, something that's functioned first. You know, they put it on someone—I f- forget who it is—but she swam across yeah, the, the swimmers. Right? I was just right? gonna say that reference. Yeah, it was. That's how they did it. That's how they marketed the watch, and that's how they built it. AP, on the other hand, they have built their brand, and their the origins of their brand are making highly complicated 
movements and selling it out in Geneva, they were never about saying, oh yeah, our watch can cross the English Channel. You know, they were about this is a beautiful movement that we spent time and a lot of effort producing. That's a good piece to to let people know about and differentiate the Rolex versus AP. It can all get grouped into this luxury realm, but like you said, there are different phases or there's there's just different levels to the game. And Rolex is one level, but AP is a different level. And I'm sure A Langenzon is like another level. And then, you exactly. know. Exactly. It's like, it becomes, it meshes up. It sort of like becomes a mishmash past that. But it's totally different. People ask me, it's like, am I, are, am I afraid of wearing my Rolex to do stuff that uh, might not be like safe or that it's like dangerous for damaging something? Like, say, I went, I've gone snowboarding with my Rolex before, you know, falling around and stuff. And it's like, it's fine. But people ask me, it's like, hey, are you, do you feel safe? Like, say you fall down and hit something or you fall down and like it smashes on the ground, like God forbid. Or do you feel okay with that? And this is what I tell them all the time. And I, I believe this is to be very, very true. And I feel like you can attest this. People have worn Rolex to go fight wars. Exactly. The, people have worn vintage subs to go fight wars. My modern sub with modern technology and technology advancements can take a fall down onto snow. Yes. Like, it's fine. Yes. I agree. <laughs> you hit it right there. And I hope that is really, if that can shift your perspective about Rolex, is what Darius just said. They they put it on an, you, know, you can say, quote unquote, influencer back in the day. You know, and she swam across, you know, X amount of distance with that Rolex. Rolex put these on, you know, uh, people that summit mountains and they summited Everest. They you were commissioned by the military to, to create timepieces and it's gone through World War Two. You know, the the whole COMEX, you know, all the divers, right? They they did testing with divers and it became, you know, a certified diver. All that stuff. Rolex was built on the moral of being the everyday watch and for it to be a tool for you. And it was meant to be affordable. Of course, that's changed through the years and the whole kind of luxury thing. But in it, in the essence, that's what Rolex is about. And that's why I think what you said is Rolex is attainable. You just got to put effort into it. Obviously not. Attainable, big air quotes. Uh, I mean, can, can I say, relatively speaking, in the uh, watch world or like entry-level luxury that it is attainable is that a fair statement to say i think that's a fair statement i think that's a fair statement i mean like if 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 you make it a goal and like you are in the position where you can start saving money and the reason why i say like it's attainable erico is because there is a lot of like wealth disparity and people don't just simply don't have the opportunity to save money you know which is really unfortunate but if you are in the position where you can save money and you can put away something like every month every week you can make the decision to go buy, say, an Oyster Perpetual, and you will have a Rolex. And I, like, I don't want to discount people who are on, in, like, a position where they can, you know, where spending, like, even 4000 say, like, um, a vintage Rolex is an extraneous expense because it is. It is, yeah. It's, I think that's something 
that, that's a good point to, to add because we can get all wrapped up in this world like oh it, it's just eight thousand like oh it's just nine thousand compared to like like this brand like it, it's a it's a steal right but there are people out there that what you can afford to pick up might be that seiko 5 right and it's okay too in my opinion it is okay yeah i, I think it's okay and it's like it's one it's a different product but it's also like a respectable product I've called out a lot of people on their SKX, the Pepsi dial, like wh whether it be like courier drivers or I had a meeting with uh, with a brand and then, you know, he came in and I was like, hey, that's a SKX. How are you liking it? Right. Exactly. You can never knock someone for what situation they're in. And I don't want to I don't want us to be seem like pretentious snobs who are like, oh, yeah, it's just Rolex. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> I try not to, and hopefully, I can prove that with uh, with, with with the watch that uh, I kind of want to dive into and have the origin story about. Yes, your origin story. We went on we went on a big tangent about Rolex, but I think it was an important tangent to talk about. No, I, I definitely agree. Every time um, someone someone you know handles my Explorer or even like a Tudor, I always try to dumb it down as much as possible. Right. But so you you covered the Rolex and you covered that AD experience and I hope that helps someone out there you know kind of ease the ease the tension if you're walking into an AD. My experience with with the watch is completely different, um, and this is the one that I, I wore for the week, which is this Seiko Chronograph. Okay, so a little backstory on this is number one. Uh, this came at a time for me personally where I was just getting to watches. I was. And then I got really obsessed with the vintage pieces, and that's how I landed this. So I did do a lot of research beforehand. What I uh, focused on was really the Seiko story. And one part of the story I want to point out is basically how they were one of the first, I think the first probably, to come out with a quartz chronograph. You know, based on my research, that's what I saw, um, or at least do it successfully. So because of that, I'm like, whoa, that's... To me, that's revolutionary, even though this was about 30 years ago at this point. If they were one of the first to pick up, I mean, first to, you know, master this quartz chronograph, I kind of want that in my collection just to say, hey, you know, have this story about Seiko, have this story about the, the brand if I was ever, if I was ever given the chance to talk about it. So my, my hunt really began on eBay. I, I don't know if you... Very you've, opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. But... I like it. I, I mean, eBay hunting is like such a thing. <laughs> have you ever picked up anything on eBay? I have never picked anything up off of eBay. Does it scare you? It scares me a bit. It scares me a bit. And you know what? I have a lot of respect for the people who have like, who are willing to put in the time to go scour eBay. It's like scouring grilled or vintage stores or thrift shops. I could not, I would lose patience immediately. <laughs> Uh, I would say I used to be like that. Like I would never walk into a thrift store or like w even winners would give me anxiety because everything's just everywhere. Yeah, it's too much choice. There's too much choice. That's the problem. There are too many choices. Uh, but with eBay, I mean, I'll be on. It's not like I'll, I'll be upfront. I've been burned before on on eBay with like Franken watches. But that, I, f I feel like that's all part of the, the process. You know, I eat it. It wasn't a huge investment on my end, um, but I, I ate those costs. So with this watch, I would, you know, I just go on eBay um, every day, basically. And I saved the search and I got email notifications. And my search was really, really Seiko Chronograph. 
That's what I was looking for. And at the time, my budget was anything below $200. That was my cap. And um, I always love to find <laughs> listings that had free shipping. But it's also just a tip if you're into like eBay and, and like looking for stuff is sometimes free shipping, uh, <laughs> you can run into some trouble where it might be like a fake watch or a Franken watch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They want to make it more enticing for you. Exactly. They want to get people like me. Um, but again, they put the bait on there. We, we talked about it before is you got to do your research. So I would, you know, every day, even though I I'd go on eBay, I'd also go on like watch forums, I'd go on Reddit and just read about like Seiko chronograph, like seven Seiko 7S26, whereas these ones like Seiko 7A38, right? Just learn about the little nuances, what models actually came out. And that way, if you know what models came out under those reference numbers, and when you're looking on eBay, then you can say, okay, that's a fake. Like they never made that. Whereas um, if you know about it, they're like, hey, there, there it is. So I do my research and eventually uh, I narrowed it down to, it was like a, a silver um, model of this. And then there was a gold plated, right? And I've never saw myself as a gold plated guy. Uh, but I found that the stainless steel ones, they were selling for more. And I would, you know, put my offer in for under $200, no one would bite. For this one, I and I'm going to be fully transparent, I put an offer in there for about $140. It had a original box, original papers, uh, and also it had the watch inside. It had still had that like little plastic tag that they put, you know, if you were in it just in if you were to pick it up in a store. Yeah. And that's why I picked it up. And I think that's a really good tip too about eBay is when you're looking for watches, try to find a complete package. Yes, if you're buying Rolex, they can always buy a box. They can always buy papers. But there is some sort of trust, I feel, when you're scouring for vintage pieces to look for those things. It's always a nice to have. Yeah, it is nice to have. It's nice to have. I still have it. It's in a really crappy plastic box. (laughs) But whatever. Yeah. Uh, It still has its papers. uh, you know teaches you about how to use this this function and i'm gonna i'm gonna pick up the watch right now um so this is a seiko 7a38-7280 uh made in the mid to late 80s uh which is you know way before i was born way before even even the aesthetic of it is is so you know it is vintage it is vintage uh and i don't know they're I grew up, you know, I'm not going to say my, my family comes from money, definitely not, but I grew up where Seiko was a household name. And even my mom uh, would always, you know, talk about Se- beyond Rolex and beyond Tudors, right, or, or Omegas, or she says Omegas. Um, it was always like Seiko. It was like a good watch for every day. I remember my mom used to wear a two-tone Seiko quartz, and it's probably like 26 millimeters. It was tiny. But it still works. Yeah, it, well, she she did lose it, but yeah, I, I remember like that thing would tick forever and it'd be trusty. So going on this hunt for this watch, it was really like, okay, I know Seiko's a good brand. I know that they're fir- one of the first to master the quartz chronograph. It'd be amazing to have it in my collection. And this basically, it tells the time, it tells the day and tells the date as well. Um, wow. It has a, yeah, it has a sub second um, at the six o'clock. Um, and then chronograph. And uh, I don't use a chronograph a lot. I'll be honest, um, just talking about watches now. I like a dive bezel more than a chronograph. I had to think about that for a bit. Yeah, think about be, Here's why though. You chose a sub, which, is, which has a dive bezel, 
versus a Speedmaster, which is a chronograph. So I, I would I would kind of think from that purchase, you would like a dive bezel more. But I also own a chrono. <laughs> yeah, but you do own a chrono now. So, hmm. Well, which one do you I like more? I like I like the um, I enjoy wearing the AP more because it's shiny. And I'm a simple man. But functionality. Functionality-wise, the dive, for sure. Okay. I have literally never used a chrono for any reason other than say, like, oh, look, I have a chronograph. And then you're just, like, showing people, like, this is how it works. Yeah. Like, that, I've never used a chrono. The AP chrono doesn't even have a tachometer or anything. <laughs> I've got a tachometer scale on this guy, too. I mean... See? Seiko better than AP, confirmed. Right. It's a... There you go. You can actually use it. Yeah. Um... But it, this watch, when I first got it, um, I was excited. I was really excited. I paid $145 for it. Uh, it came in the mail. It came with all the boxes and paper. I was like, amazing. The only thing was, I, I realized, is that um, I didn't have any extra links. So I was like, I don't know if it fit me. And that didn't even cross my mind when I purchased it. was like, would it even fit my wrist? Um, at the time, it fit my wrist perfectly well. But for some reason, after the whole quarantine, I guess my wrist got smaller. Even my Explorer, I had to get it readjusted at the AD. Oh, really? Yeah, because I was like, this is like, wait. I, I could fit it's like two down. fingers in there. Well, I mean, luckily for like a lot of these, like Seiko, Rolex, um, you can get links. You can get parts. Which is like really important if you're buying your first watch. Um, if you're gonna buy your first watch, make sure it's repairable. Uh, on that note, so um, repairable is uh, what's more repairable: a quartz watch or a, or an automatic watch? Depends what you mean. Mm. Mm, mm. So there's because. The... Yeah, because I know sometimes there are certain quartz movements where it's just more worth it getting a new one for like $50 and putting it in. Exactly. So, you do, do some research on what you're buying because well, this is another thing that I looked into when I was buying choosing between Rolex and Speed. The Speedmaster Reduced fit my wrist better than Speedmaster. And to service a Speedmaster Reduced, if the chrono module goes off, it's to replace the entire movement. Damn, how much would that be? It'll be like a thousand something, two thousand dollars. For a watch that, I mean, nowadays it's 5K or 55 Exactly. So if anything was to go wrong, that's a huge cost. Now with the Seiko, with like a Quartz, you might just end up buying a new watch entirely. Yeah, because I mean, the cost of a movement and then cost of your watchmaker repairing it, it might be the cost of a new one. Exactly, or like 80 bucks, which is like most of a new watch anyways. Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, there is a replaceability about them. This guy, uh, and I'm just going to be fully honest with the listeners, I already let Darius know, the battery died six months ago, um, and this week I really just put it on because I was looking at my watch case. I was like, hey, I haven't worn this guy in a while, uh, and I just put it on. When I first got it, like I said, I was really excited that I could have, this is more like a history piece to me, it's not really something that I want to, really wear but it's just to say like within the whole Seiko legacy and having that legacy of creating one of the first uh, workable chronos 
is that I have this. And at the time, I was really excited. I put it on the wrist, um, even though it really didn't really match who I am. And still, when I look at this, I'm like, gold-plated or gold is just not me at this time. Um, and because of that, it doesn't get that much wear. And I haven't worn this, I could say confidently, for about three months. I did not pop this on the wrist. But uh, it's fun. Pardon? But it's fun. But it's fun, yes. <laughs> Uh, and so when I did this time is um, the feeling of it, um, it just, like you said, it sparks fun. Um, I don't know. Do I love it as much as I did uh, when I was doing the discovery phase? I'm going to say no. Right now, I think the the two watches that do it for me, or three, if I can do three, um, Explorer, the, the Black Bay 58, and the Seiko Turtle. I think that's really all I need. I look at the collection. I do have a Seiko King Quartz that's more of a dressy piece. Again, I don't wear it. Um, and I have a few other vintage pieces that I don't wear either. I, You can say that I, it's lost its lust. I don't have buyer's remorse because I still think it's cool to have this as, as a part of history and storytelling. But it doesn't really do it for me. It's not. It's, those were not buy to wears. Yeah. And maybe buying for the that's something we can talk about too. It's like with less expensive pieces, should you be buying because of the history or should you buy to wear? In my opinion, I think you should buy to wear. I think you should buy to wear for sure. Yeah. Does that mean I should sell this? <laughs> I mean, yes. Yeah. I mean, if we're if we're gonna be if we're gonna be uh, t- um, practicing what we preach, you have to you have to sell it now. Yeah, I will. I, I think I'll put it up. Um, I've already taken photos of it. Uh, I would say three months ago when I, I stopped wearing it, I literally already took like nice photos of this to put it as a listing. I just never did it. So maybe it's, it's time to let this go because I'm sure someone will enjoy this more than I will. Yeah. Paying it forward, exactly. Um, but yeah, I think that's, uh, that's one origin story. If I can wrap it up is I got excited about the history. I did a deep dive, did my, hist- uh, did my um, homework, Purchased the watch, fell in love with it for a good, probably like two, three months, put it away. Um, and it just, yeah, look at it now. It just doesn't really do it for me. <laughs> and you're not about it anymore. He's a, he's a Rolex and Tudor man. Yeah. And hopefully one day I can, I could be like a glass suit man. That's the next. Yeah. I just, I just saw, um, I think a new release from them or maybe not new, just good marketing around it. Just like a, a dress piece, really simple. I think time only, rolls gold case, something like that. Maybe that's my next step because I don't have very uh, formal watches in my collection. Formal watches don't exist. Everything's a formal watch if you if you try hard enough. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me ask you this. Sorry, because you're a sub owner. Sub on a leather strap. Yes or no? <laughs> cool look. Very dumb though. Like. Like, you're not diving with leather. Like, you're never going to dive with the leather strap. Yes, and that's, that's the thing I wanted to, to, to hear, too, is there's a bit of this hobby where it just has to make sense. Sure, it can look cool, like you said, but you're never going to dive in a... It's going to get all smelly. Um, even when you sweat on leather bands, it's going to get all smelly, too. You, Sub on rubber strap, though. Ooh, cool. Talk about like those Everest straps. Please, yeah, come, yeah, yeah, yeah. please sponsor this podcast. If you're hearing this Everest straps, I'd love to do some sponsorship for you guys. Everest, I've never put my sub on anything but the original bracelet, but if you sponsor us, I will put it on a rubber strap. 
and we'll do some good photography as well. Amazing photography. <laughs> if you provide me the tools and the strap for the AP, I'll do it at least once. Oh, see, I think AP Chronos look pretty good with a silicone strap. I've never seen one with a silicone strap. I've seen it with leather, which is great. And I've considered doing, but it's very expensive to do because it's AP. Maybe not the authorized ones. There's some third-party ones. I've, I've seen them, yeah. Third-party rubbers exist, I think. I know, I know authorized leathers exist, which is why I want one. Mm-hmm. But well, going back to the new release that you talked about, the gosh, dude, I, there was a new release that I got really excited about that I will never own in my life, but I got really excited because it's cool to me. And it's also polarizing because it's the Richard Mill, and people who listen know that I like Richard Mill. RM2704 Turbion for Rafael Nadal. Ooh. Any tennis fans out there? I used to be a tennis Any fan. Any tennis fans? I used to be a tennis the fan. The king of the clay. So what so, does it look like? So it, it's, it's a Richard Mill. It has a tonneau shape. It has, a jet. it has the teeth on the side of the case. It's made of a new material called... Tidacarb marketing. That's a fancy word for what? It's a fancy word for what seems to be carbon fiber and titanium impregnated within each other. What's really impressive about every single Rafael Nadal Turbion, especially this one, is do you know how durable Turbions are? Um, I don't know how durable Turbions are. Are they even durable at all? They are not durable at all. Because they're that pretty the fragile, that, right? That is the key. They are not they are not durable at all. If you like essentially cough on one, it's gonna break. Um is what it is. Well, turbine's beautiful, but it's not like the best thing to wear all the time. Also the functionality is arguable. Yes. But, Wait, before you move on, why is the functionality kind of arguable? I know it, but some people might not understand why you had why you made that statement. For, for the listeners who don't know what a turbion does, it essentially gravity affects the timekeeping ability of a watch that is stationary, in essence a clock, because how the how it works is that it, it sort of rotates and balances. So one without a turbion will get affected because the gravity affects it um non-proportionally it affects the balance keeping the timekeeping mechanism non-uniformly the turbion um function not is it a function that's a whole other discussion yeah but the 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 turbion turbion movement movement will rotate and rotate the timekeeping mechanism in a watch to allow gravity to affect it uniformly so that it keeps better time in theory but if you're wearing a watch and it moves Gravity does not affect the timekeeping mechanism uniformly anyways. Yeah. It's a great thing to look at. <laughs> but Functionality is debatable. Again, I, I've never owned one, but I would. I still want one. There's something about the... Uh, I love it. The story behind them. It just it looks, but looks back cool. back to the Nadal. Yeah, it's back to Rafael Nadal. Yeah. Turbions, historically, are not durable movements. So any sort of shock or impact will break it immediately has rm What's found in- a way to to make it durable is that why this watch is rm exciting? has found ways to do it since the first nadal but now so the first nadal could resist or take impacts of something absurd like four thousand g's 
which is absurd. This is a tourbillon, remember, right? This one, the new RM2704, the fourth generation. That This tourbillon is really interesting because it's suspended by a cable structure, and they've done it before where they suspend movements in cable structures. This one can resist 12,000 Gs. I can't even fathom which is in, what which is incredible. Is like. um, what's really interesting and impressive about this is that you have to remember that to make something like this, you have very tight tolerances, and what they've done is strung steel cable across the entire watch um, case and suspended a movement on it without scratching anything, obviously. But they suspend the entire movement in it and it's it forms sort of like a net. It, it's inspired by a tennis racket, but it forms a net that suspends the entire movement and is hand-wound. So one of the issues with having a hand-wound movement is that the movement is perpetually connected to the case because you have to wind it through the crown. What they've done is separated the crown and the movement until you actually open up the crown and it engages and then connects and you can wind it. Because well, otherwise, that is all mechanically the shocks, interesting. Yeah, all the shocks that go on the case would be directly affecting the movement if the crown is always connected. Yeah, exactly. Wow. That is that is cool. Right? It's cool. It's like it's, nerdy it's amazing. Cool. Holy crap. It's nerdy cool. So it's a it's a it's a it's a turbion which is Durable to shock resistance, or durable or like resistant to shock to an extreme extent, because Nadal will play this while, well, will play tennis while wearing it. Oh, he plays it like I mean, he wears he it. He plays while wearing it. Wow. Okay. That that that's Which good marketing, crazy, by the way. Right. And he wins because he's Nadal. And it's a manual wind, so they have solved this, these two problems for the low low cost of one point something million dollars. <laughs> Easy. This is easy money for Drake. Easy money for for uh, Jay Z. Easy and money. Floyd, Floyd Mayweather. Not for me though. Not for me. <laughs> what, you know what else is amazing? What? The weight of these watches. Okay, so you said carbon fiber and titanium. Titanium is al- al- already very light, and carbon fiber is already light too. So tell me, what it, what is the weight? The entire watch. I'm reading it right now. The RM twenty seven oh four weighs. With the strap, 30 grams. 30 grams? Holy crap. That is light. That is so light. With That's with the strap. That's with the strap, too. Wow. It's not as impressive as the original. The original weighed... The RM2701 weighed 19 grams. Wow. That's already amazing because... I mean, when I brew coffee, it's at 20 grams, 19 grams. And now it's thir- that's hey, that's still very minimal on your wrist. Yeah. If you if you ever if listeners ever get the chance to feel and handle um, a carbon RM in any any carbon RM, you put it in your hand and you just laugh because it's like it doesn't feel real. There, there's a perception I think with watches where like when you when you have it you gotta be like oh this feels like nice and heavy whereas RM is kind of the opposite right? Yeah, you put it, you feel it, you're like this doesn't exist, this shouldn't exist. <laughs> I have a question about the hand wind movement. Um, 
And you know more about this than I do, and hopefully you can educate myself and, and even the listeners. The handwind movement, does it need that special tool to handwind it? No, you wind it with your hands. Oh, you can still... Okay, because I've seen like... Yeah. I, I don't know which brand it is, but it's the ones where you have to actually use a mechanism and like put it into the watch to handwind. So you can still... So the sto- you know, it's really funny. The story behind those mechanisms and like RM makes those. But the only reason they have it is because people are... It's going to take a really long time to wind it up. So some of these movements have like eight day power reserves and they're hand wound. Mm-hmm. That's going to take a long time and your hand's going to get tired. Oh, okay. That, that makes sense. <laughs> that's why yeah, they that have was, a tool. That, that's why that was a watch I wanted to talk about because the Nadal watches are always crazy. Um, I wasn't aware like that he was an, can I say ambassador or is there a different yeah, word? Yeah, he's, for... he's an official ambassador uh, he's with official uh, Richard Mill. Like it's named the Nadal. Mm-hmm. I didn't know he was, he was tied with, with the brand. Yeah, very cool. Like 10 years, he's been with them for 10 years, I think. But yeah, that's a, that's a watch I saw on Instagram, reading about it. Gets me excited because it's just cool for being cool. It is. Uh, I think, uh, and we had this conversation when we first met, was you actually put me on RM not just as like a, you can't look at it just like a normal watch, but you think of it as innovation. You think about yeah. it as a mixing these alloys, like being titanium and carbon fiber. That is that is a thing. You you don't see any other traditional watch makers doing that. And RM is doing they're experimenting with different tools. I have to ask something though. I'm not sure if you, you know um or not. That tourbillon movement, everything in that watch case, um, and the parts, are they still made out of like stainless steel or is it made out of something different? So sometimes they use uh titanium. I've know that they've made bridges out of carbon fiber before they've made bridges out of sapphire before yeah they they will do everything and anything i think most of the weight actually is in some of the alloys in the movement like everything else is negligible yeah essentially that's what i was thinking too because i mean you have your you have your strap you have your case right but really the the beating heart of it is being the movement and with the tourbillon i'm just like well how are they cutting that that weight are they, you know, right? Are they it's going insane. away from the same steel? Yeah, that is pretty cool. I want to add a comment um, to this kind of Nadal and like this RM thing. In terms of fashion, in terms of where it's going, I do think you'll see more of a resurgence of going back to like an old tennis look. Number one, with the whole Stan Smith, um, you know, gaining popularity in the past few seasons, um, and then there are there are brands out there like Boast. Uh, USA, which is actually funded by uh, Tommy Hilfiger. Not sure if I can say that, but that's some insider knowledge. And you'll see that Sergio Ticini, too, in North America, being headed by public school's Dao Yi Chao. Again, it's going back to a lot of the old school tennis vibes. Um, I, it's more niche, definitely, but I think you will see more of this like tennis culture being ingrained, at least into the fashion world. Um, and then it'll start to trickle over um, into, you know, into the influencers and, and all that stuff. Just a little tidbit. I do think you'll see more of like tennis uh, gear being more, uh, you know, more popular. And hopefully we see them wearing RM27s <laughs> if they can get them. Hey, I have a question for you. What are some watch alternatives? Like if, if you were in the whole, you know, tennis space, whether you're an enthusiast or you actually play the sport, if it's not an RM, 
what's a cool watch to be wearing? AP, because Serena Williams wears AP while oh, playing. Oh, okay. That, <laughs> that is very cool. I can never imagine wearing an AP doing any sort of sport activity. She does it. Um, otherwise, no one. I don't think anyone else really wears anything um, while playing. Alexander Zverev used to wear RM, but he's no longer with the brand. Uh, Roger Federer's with Rolex. With Rolex, but he doesn't wear one while playing. If you if you watch his games, he he finishes games and then like runs over to the sidelines, puts on his watch, and then goes take pictures. Oh, interesting. Do you know what's in his collection or like in his rotation? I can just imagine maybe like a GMT Master, too. Like everything, probably everything. Lucky, lucky. Does guy. it exist? He has it. <laughs> Yeah, RM. Everyone, everyone has this like bone to pick with them for the pricing. Just the pricing is irrelevant. Just imagine it as a concept car, and it's it totally makes sense then. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be straight up and say, before we had that first meeting, is like I was not educated with with RM. There was such like a, you know, stigma. But afterwards, you know, you you did kind of turn me on to them. It's like, yeah, look at it just as innovation. And I do think that they're, they are pushing envelopes similar to the AP concepts. Um, whereas everyone else is, you know, kind of relying on history. I, w- I don't want to say playing it safe, but just sticking with their roots. And it's exactly. just exciting to see someone push the boundary and see how far they could take it. Yeah, I'm just reading specs about it. They have the cable is 0.27 millimeters in diameter that they must string through the movement and not scratch anything. Wow. Hey, I just had, I just thought of something. For you, I I think I know the answer, but for you, when it comes to innovation, do you look at the RMs and you look at, you know, the materials that they're, that they're working with and to create a new watch? Or would you look at the Piaget um, really like ultra thin watch? I don't know if you know the one I'm talking about, but Piaget has like a, like thin 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 watch two millimeters in thickness yeah that one in total which one is more exciting to you uh rms why because you can actually wear them could you not wear the piaget yeah you could wear it and then you look at it the wrong way and then it breaks (laughs) okay that watch um i sorry i don't know the reference or anything but that watch is basically a super super thin watch when you look at it from the side profile to me it doesn't look great i think whoops i just touched the mic to me it doesn't look great um it's like something cool to have like on display and you can have people walk through the display and see how thin it is but it's it doesn't really appeal to to me whereas i think the rm you can implement it into more lifestyles yeah the the piaget is impressive because it's thin and all the cutting that they did to make it thin the rm is impressive because it does all that and then you can actually wear it afterwards that's what makes them so impressive to me you know they do all this stuff to make it like durable or whatnot and you can actually wear it and then they have other ones where they just have like the most insane stuff where they say like oh yeah we made this out of complete sapphire the complete sapphire timepieces are very impressive to me because I can just imagine trying to machine that um, the case. It's all yeah, the, the case and like everything. It must be pretty hard to do it on sapphire. Yeah, is it they, not like it takes one of the 4, hardest? Four thousand hours. Four thousand hours. Just for the case. 
so put that into perspective as a buyer you're looking at that price if you understand the process and i think that's a bit of the brand too is like look look think about how much labor goes into that case of course it's going to be costing x amount of dollars because you have one guy where his end goal is taking this like chunk of sapphire and creating a perfect case i can only imagine how many times like they could mess up and they have something waste. like a 75 percent failure rate yeah so like four thousand hours is four years of a full-time job <laughs> when you put it put it that way you know yeah. right to make the case it takes someone in terms of labor hours four years of a full-time job to make just the case of this thing you know and it's costing like retail 1.5 million or two million dollars but still like imagine paying someone four years of skilled expertise i don't know 400 grand in just labor costs yeah and so it makes plus sense. markup you know yeah, plus markup and everything um don't know if you can dive into this but what is the strategy is, is the strategy of rm still like going through ad's and like distributors and they're not going direct because i i know they're in the watch industry there has been talk about if um dealers i mean ad's still have a place and if the strategy should go more direct to consumer I think it's uh, RM difficult to say because they're such a small company, relatively. You know, 900 pieces a year or like 4,000 pieces a year with um, like not that many anythings. Um, I don't know. I, I, don't, I haven't kept up with how they uh, keep their distribution channels. Um, as far as I know, they have a lot in the States, the, in um, Europe and Asia. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you think, um, and I'm saying this, let me put some context. Nike, I know, is going to get more focused into their direct-to-consumer business rather than a B2B approach because I think through the years they've built up enough, you know, brand awareness, brand equity that they can afford to. Are we going to see the same thing with watches? Uh, definitely, I think. Um, AP has been closing ADs for the last two years. Oh, Wow. Yeah, and now they're opening a lot of like independent boutiques, so, like they own themselves. It's more it's more profitable for a company to do that, anyways. You know, you you cut out the B two B aspect, you cut out the wholesale aspect. And I think you, um, as a company, just from my objective point of view, is I think you'll gather enough data as well from that. Yeah, you get a lot more data because I think a wholesale approach is, uh, let's say you're the AD, right? I'm gonna you're looking for ten units of said watch. I give it to you, but I don't know what happens ultimately. I can say as a company, like as a watchmaker, you know, this year I've sold, you know, 10,000 pieces, but I, I'm selling that to, to a dealer, like an AD. I'm not selling it directly to the consumer. So I don't really know that much beyond my transaction with you. Whereas when you go direct to consumer, I think you have more control. If you go direct to consumer though, how do you think, and maybe, you know, we don't have the answers to this. How are the wait lists going to work? Oh man, who knows? Is it going to be, and this might be a company, you know, a solution opportunity is, do you start to program something that can put you on a wait list? And then you get into what verifies you as, you know, are we going to see wait lists, you know, shortened or are we going to see them prolonged if they do a direct to consumer approach? I don't think it's going to change anything about wait lists or um, like purchasing processes at all. 
Because, like, what if, like, the experience, I'm just kind of, like, you know, brain dropping, but the experience is you have to, like, log on to, like, the AP website, they give you credentials, you know, they give you all that stuff, and then you find the watch, and it's, like, currently a six-year wait list. <laughs> that would, I don't think they'll do that. No one will do that. I think that's too, um, it pushes people away from the brand is what happens. And it also stops people from cross-shopping within the brand. You know, if you know, like, the watch that you want is, whatever, six years or five years, allegedly, you might get turned off by the brand completely. And I think it's a bad strategy. Hmm. Well, well do, do you have some sort of solution? I have no solutions yeah. to this. Um, <laughs> solution as a consumer, just buy everything and they'll give you anything. I think brands, like, I think for smaller brands, uh, I shouldn't say that. I think for brands that are more um, approachable and attainable, it's a really good strategy. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's also, like, they don't have that sort of problem, not to the same scale. Yeah, they, they really don't, because you could walk into any store and you could pick up IWCs pretty easily. You could pick up JLCs pretty easily as well. I, I guess there are some exceptions. Um, but if you were to pick up a Reverso, Easy, Santos from Cartier, or even like a, a tank, pretty attainable. Yeah, I think the this whole like weightless phenomenon is not the norm. It's just the most vocal um, part of uh, buying. It's not the norm. It's just the most vocal part. I never thought about it. Think about it. it. Like, how many brands have actual weightless? That's a good point. <laughs> Just the ones that have really good brand recognition. And yeah, and the ones that everyone are hyping up. But you have you have Patek, you have AP, Rolex, RM. No one else. That's it. Yeah. I've walked into a, a VC shop, sorry, Vacheron Constantin uh, dealer, and I could try almost anything on that I see in the catalog. Exactly. Same or with Piaget. I guess... If you have specific, really, really, really cool pieces, I guess um, something that gets super hyped up. Vacheron Overseas Blue, I guess. Um, that's one. But that's one out of the entire catalog, right? Whereas the other brands, like the four I just mentioned, that's essentially their entire catalog that people are willing to buy or wanting to buy. Is there a, sorry, is there a huge wait list for like Aquanauts? I'm pretty sure there is. Yeah. I know because I'm trying to get one. <laughs> Dang. Dang, that is a cool typepiece. That is a cool typepiece. Would you ever... Okay, we know this extreme about watches. Will will fashion or will sneakers ever get to this point? Yeah. Yeah, you think so? Yeah. I don't think it'll be a waitlist per se because you don't really want to wait and the sneaker and fashion world isn't built the same way. But we already see it. Explain that. How do we already see it nowadays? Is it the trend of like the whole resale? Is the whole yeah. Dior Jordan thing like foreshadowing what we're gonna see in the future? Absolutely. I mean, the Dior for the Dior Jordan one. They have people that spend like hundreds of thousands to millions a year as a client. If you're a Dior, do you not give them? 100% access to the Dior Jordan that comes out? Yes, you do, because they are spending 400 to $1 million a year. It goes back to, like, as a company, do you give Joe, Joe Blow from the street 
the equal chance to buy something coveted as your top client. Yeah, no, you, you, you wouldn't don't. want to. So do you think, we'll, we'll take Nike for example. So do you think we'll see like a pedestrian Nike brand? I, I mean, sorry, Nike product. And then we're going to see this exclusive in the future where the exclusive. We do. Where we already at? do. Well, like the sneakers app stuff. Everyone takes the sneakers app stuff. <laughs> or like you get friends and family stuff. You get oh, that releases. I never thought I mean? about that. You're right. You're right. Yeah. The friends and family stuff, especially. Like the so you get, you get pieces like Pharrell friends and family from Adidas. You get, you know, Macklemore friends and family and stuff like that. Yeah. Pure God friends and family, Jerry Lorenzo stuff. Yeah. Ooh. You get seated customers, you know, you get people who are seated sneakers before they come out or they, or they're seated like um, an allocation of a sneaker before they come out. Um, I see some people in Toronto that are like seated directly from Nike Toronto. It already happens. It's just not as talked about because people are not as vocal about it. Maybe we have to be vocal about it. I mean, do I want to be vocal about it? That means I have to buy sneakers. Because it's seated doesn't mean that you get it for free. It means you have to buy it. Oh, I didn't know that. Because I always thought those like seating opportunities is you just have like you just get the shoes for free. I mean, for. I guess it depends on your following, and your. Influence. Depends on your following. It depends on like. Also, what it is. I wonder how you get there. Okay, uh, I'm going to spin off again. So Nike has all of this. Will Adidas ever get to that point? Adidas friends and family. Uh, I don't hear that. Maybe I'm biased. I'm a Nike guy. I think you are too. I'm a Nike guy too. Yeah, yeah. But but you get you get some Adidas products that become very very sought after like. When 4Ds just came out. Oh. Right? Yeah. Um, Pitch Black NMDs with the Ramoa. Yeah. Well, the four, going back to the 4Ds, I think it was just the timing. Um, that I mean, I saw them at, at outlets for very different... I saw them at outlets as well, but when they first came out, like the first ones, like the Speed Factory ones, um, from years ago, this is like ancient history now with Adidas, but... Then when they came out, they were like in pop-up stores and you had to line up and raffle to get them. And obviously people who are important to Adidas got them. Even the people who are not specifically brand ambassadors, you know, people who don't have like that signed deal or that you are the Adidas ambassador, you know, some people got them. I'm, I'm waiting for the day because we talked about the, the, the Jordan and Dior collaboration and now upcoming is going to be the Prada and Adidas collaboration. Um, it already came out, didn't it? Oh, did it? Oh, see, I am... Yeah, it just came out. Thoughts? Uh, sorry, let's just cover this really quickly. Thoughts on that, because I'll give you my initial impressions. It didn't have the same impact. It did not have the same hype as Dior Jordans. Um, I don't know. It, it For me, it fell flat, but it's also coming from a Nike guy, coming from a New Balance guy. Um, it Maybe I just wasn't the target, but how about you? Like, how did you feel about that um, Prada and Adidas collaboration on the Superstars? I think that's what it was. Oh, superstars. I think the problem with it, one, they don't have the cachet of the Jordan 1. Um, two, marketing wasn't there. You know, the, the Dior Jordan release had Travis Scott as one of the models. Travis effect. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> going back to that, yeah. Um, 
three, Prada doesn't have the brand cachet currently that Dior has. Because if Kim Kim Jones was, well... Is. Is. Kim Jones is still the creative director. And four, it came out right after the Dior Jordan. So it, it feels like, eh, it's like you're just trying to catch up to that. Like, it didn't feel different. Exactly. And it didn't come out with a full collection. It came out with shoes and a bag. That's what I was saying, I think I was like, last podcast the currency of cool it wasn't cool unfortunately for prada and adidas it was not cool at the time because it just wasn't you know how do you capture and um how do you capture and quantify cool you don't it just happens and it's it's like the hardest thing to do as a retailer or, or um like fashion company how do you capitalize on cool? How do you become cool? Yeah. And I, I'm sure internally, like, it was a, they, they believed it was a great idea and they saw, they, they saw it through. I'm sure it appealed to, to most people. But just objectively, I do think that it could be the, the sign of the times too, like the whole pandemic thing. But it, it just wasn't, in my opinion, it wasn't well executed. The rollout strategy with the marketing and the PR wasn't that well done. Whereas the Dior one really did like there was so much buzz about it and like i felt it resonate through me um be it um like especially online right on instagram and all these platforms like that really resonated whereas the prada was just like okay i heard about it like before anything ever happened and then i saw leaks or like images of it on instagram but that was it and i, I didn't really see that many on feet photos of um, of the actual shoe on my Instagram, at least my algorithm didn't show me any of them. So for me, that that whole collaboration just kind of fell flat. The the actual design of them too. It is a superstar with Prada on it. Like it just says Prada once on the side. There, it wasn't a notable colorway. It didn't say see like it doesn't seem like anything beyond just being Prada, it might have been their design philosophy, but it doesn't, it's not what sells in the current age. One thing that really helped me with the whole, again, I don't have these, but what helped me at least appreciate the Dior Jordan 1 was there was actually marketing done around it. And they had Kim Jones with another, you know, creative, I forgot his name, totally sorry about that. But, uh, you know, they're talking about the shoe. They're talking about when they were growing up, how the Jordan 1 was such an iconic shoe and everyone aspired to own one of them. And they would even reference like the 85s and, and, and like classic models. And they're like, oh, we wanted to, to take that and put it into this modern shoe, right? And there was such and like, also, they're good story. Also like, it was a really good story time. I remember seeing that. And Kim Jones is a sneaker collector in his own right. Like he has a crazy collection. So they, I think Dior had the opportunity to capitalize on Kim Jones being cool, having a cool collection. And that's what happened. They, they capitalized on Kim Jones being cool being a notable sneaker collector that people know about having the Jordan one that Kim Jones wears all the time. Um, and him having the connections to seed the shoe to cool people, quote unquote, cool people around the world for it to build buzz. Whereas Prada Adidas didn't have the opportunity. I mean, I'm not in that fashion space, but I couldn't even tell you who the creative director for um, Prada is right now. I have no idea. Uh, I think it's Miyuichi Prada still, but I don't, you know. You're right, though. They capitalized on Kim Jones as a figure, as Kim Jones as a tastemaker, Kim Jones, you know, doing all of this stuff. 
and it was just very well executed. On the topic of Dior, I also do want to put out there that I loved the Dior and Cause um, collaboration. Uh, was it Dior and Cause? Yes. Yeah. I don't know. Something really playful about it, and it just kind of shifted um, the, the the image of Dior for me. And for that time, it was just something fun. It totally worked out, and then they just kind of like have been on a good wave since then. They have. I I like that yeah, that Dior Cause collection. I liked it so much. I actually bought something from it. Ooh, nice. What'd you pick up? I bought the denim jacket, the black denim jacket. Nice. I, I like the uh, I like the sweatshirts. Yeah, and it's like if you ever see my car around, I actually have the Dior Cause sort of like shopping bag um, <laughs> tag thing. It, it's like a it's a metal B. Cool. It's the metal Dior B, and then like I have that as my car thing. Yeah. On the on the rear view mirror. That that's cool. I, I I think I think that's why that impacted us more than this whole Prada Adidas thing. Yeah, it's because they they can capitalize on Kim Jones, and this was the strategic decision to get Kim Jones. Anyways, they capitalize on Kim Jones being cool and knowing everybody. It's not what you know; it's who you know. Exactly, and that's that. That was what happened with Dior. Fen- I mean, not Fendi. Now he's also Fendi now. So now we're gonna see like the Fendi Jordan one. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why I said was, but you're right, is, and he's also working with uh, Fendi. Yeah. So Prada, Adidas flop at partially fault of their own i think in my opinion adidas is really surviving off of and i could be wrong there there are probably real adidas heads out there they're gonna be you know you're you're what you're saying is wrong but i really think from an up outside point of view is yeezy and kanye is carrying adidas I think Yeezy and Kanye is carrying Adidas on the brand cachet of Yeezy being somewhat cool right now, as well as like being carried by their heritage of hip hop. I could see Yeezys, and this might not be the approach of Kanye, but I could almost see it as as a visvum. I don't know why. Like I could see down the road if. Like people will look at his mood board. People will look at the the lookbooks, and I think they can see some something like that carried through Visum. And there could be like easy arch- archival pieces. But I think the approach of Kanye is more to be a little more um, democratic and have people, uh, you know, afford the clothing. But there's there's something about it. It might, it might be the boots. It might be the colors. It might be the whole Wyoming, you know, kind of kind of scene around it. But I do think. Down the line, there could be people really jacking up the prices of it, especially the Yeezy clothing. Not sure about the shoes, but the Yeezy clothing, I, I think. Shoes, we already know people are marking up because they're old. <laughs> I like the Yeezy boots. Um, the, the ones that look like the 500s and they turned into a boot. Yeah, I, and those were actually, sorry, those were actually pretty easy to cop. I saw them on, on the shelves of Haven for quite a long time. I was like, how come these aren't moving? Like to me, they were they were real, really well executed. I think that's part of the why. That's part of the success of Yeezy. That was his ultimate goal. What do you think about the Yeezy Gap collection? I think it's fantastic. Um, I think it's fantastic that it's happening. I haven't even looked at what it looks like, but I think it's fantastic that it's actually happening. Because for, for those listening and that don't know too much about Kanye is he used to work at the Gap, correct? 
and then from there, you know, he, he would always, you know, try to get the flies clothing or he had to go somewhere else and cop some polos at the outlet or something like that. And now through his success through music and now foray into fashion is now he can cr do creative direction and do a collaboration with Gap. I think we're going to see some pretty fire pieces. Um, it will primarily be, I think, basics like hoodies, sweatshirts, like tr track pants, sweatpants. But I want to see some like outerwear, some like really cool kind of inspiring things. Because uh, for me growing up, Gap never had that cool factor. I don't know if, if you can... It was not, it did not have the cool factor. So it, it's good for like a new generation, especially the Gen Z's and whoever that next one below them is. <laughs> or, the, you know, I don't even know the name, but to, to see Gap in this new light uh, and hopefully... You know, like you said, it's 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 selling the cool, right? And I think yeah, Kanye can do it. This is like the culmination of Yeezy fashion career. Yeah, to be because, more accessible. Yeah, his his entire thing ever since day one, even with Nike, was to be accessible. Hats off to you, Kanye. Hey, if we ever end up getting Kanye on here, I think I'll be very happy. If I ever end up meeting him, I'd be very happy. <laughs> I know we're here. I'll, I'll tell you something too. Um, really early on with Springs and Thread, I did a post on the Fear of God uh, ones. And fortunately, Jerry Lorenzo somehow saw the post and saw my watch pairings that I thought would look great with the shoe. And he actually liked the post. So <laughs> it, is out, it is out there. So let's hope we can make something happen all together. Uh, Darius, was there anything you wanted to cover today? Um... No, I think I'm good for today. It's a, it's a long podcast. We've covered a lot, actually. I we, know. We thought, the, we thought the origin story was going to be like a quick thing. Um, we had some things lined up. I actually wanted to talk about the M3, M4 that came out from BMW. That could be a whole other discussion. Um, but that just might turn into me ranting about it. So don't want to bore the listeners too much about it. No, I, I think uh, we can also publish bonus content as well. So the bonus content could be not watch and like not fashion related. And it could just be rants from yourself or even rants from my, from, from you, from you or me. Yeah. You or me. Rants, just rants on stuff. Yeah. It'll just be springs and thread rants. That's going to be the bonus content. Springs and rants. <laughs> rants and thread. Rants and thread. Just rants. Rants and rants. <laughs> That should be the name of it. All right, man. It's been, I think, about we're hitting the two-hour mark. Yeah, almost. Yeah, we are. All right, man. I'm going to let you enjoy your Sunday. Thanks for doing this. I'm going to wrap it always. up. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. And we will see you next week. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks so much. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Thanks for listening. <laughs>